Happy Father's Day. Well, thank you. But I'm wondering if Father's Day is different in Japan because I received a Father's Day present last weekend. So I don't know if we're doing it on a different date or whether my family got it wrong. I don't know. So, oh, so you're not sure exactly what day Father's Day is celebrated in Japan, really? It doesn't really <laughs> matter that much. Yeah, I, I hear. You. I got to text uh, Sam too because this is uh, his first Father's Day right. as a, as a parent. So he seems to really be embracing it. It's awesome to see him. Uh, I mean, twins, Good. not easy. I'm sure you know, two at the same time like that. Yeah. How was your Father's Day? Good, good. We just spent some time with the the family. We still have restrictions. We were thinking of getting together with my brother, his family, and then my parents and going out to eat. But uh, restaurants, they just started doing indoor seating this week. And uh, and all this stuff is crucial, especially in my family, because my wife, that's what she does. She works in a, at a restaurant. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, all these uh, restrictions ha- have really affected her workplace and, and all that stuff. And, you know, and, and really, like I've been telling people, I'm like, it's not so much so great. You get a check for a couple months. But what good is that if once that check runs out, the job that used to exist isn't there anymore. And then yeah. you're stuck. Well, that's on your what own. I'm wondering. What about your wife's job? I mean, she still has a job? Yeah, luckily, they're, they're one of the few restaurants that we actually had some local restaurants that are during probably a month ago said that, hey, we're not opening up. We're just going to shut down. I don't know if it was like certain branches or just shut down completely. I know uh, a friend of my wife's who, who cuts hair, her company just said, we're not reopening. They're done. So it's like there's a lot of people in that situation where. You know, and this is something we've talked about uh, over and over again, that the reaction to this whole thing is going to have huge long-term effects that we don't, uh, many of us can't even understand yet and, and, and foresee. So I think, you know, that's a huge issue. I mean, a lot of people were loving the, you know, like, hey, you get an extra 600 bucks on unemployment and how lenient they are and all, all that stuff with, uh, with unemployment. But it's like, what good is getting that money if when it is time to... I guess get back to work. The the work's not there, and um, I, I I think it also showed how work. What it's not so much as work was necessary, uh, but I think it, it showed that like this idea of like, hey, if we just give you money and just ask you to stay at home for a long period of time, like you know, everybody should be happy. You can stay home. You can just binge watch things and you can, but there's something about the lack of freedom and the lack of like flexibility. And also like all the other things that came with it, like the public shaming of like, you couldn't even like when this first started, I I thought about, okay, well, there's a lot of people who I think like people that I know that like, I think work too much and don't spend enough time with their friends and family. And and they spend more time doing things they have to do and not enough time doing things they enjoy doing and want to do. And, um, and I think you can get consumed in that, you know, and you can kind of miss the whole point, or I guess from from my uh, perspective or, or my opinion, uh, what the whole point of life really is. And that's, enjoy, you know, enjoying things and enjoying company, enjoying the simple things. And uh, so I'm like, oh, this is a great time for some of those people to slow down, especially in the East Coast of Massachusetts where we live super fast-paced lives. But and then they said, hey, you can't go see your friends and family. Stay away from everybody. And I'm like, okay, there, there goes that idea. you know. So And it's crazy because last time you were – not last time because you were on, on, on that alternative media uh, Zoom call. But the time before that, I believe, it was me, you, and Sam. And I don't know if Charlie was on that call or not, but – I know we it was like the beginning of all this, and we were all kind of like, 
kind of, I guess, like still waiting to see what was developing and what was going on. And uh, since then, holy crap, has a lot changed. It's like we haven't just figured out the puzzle. It's become so drastically obvious that... Uh, so, but but let, let's get into that before I piss off all your fans by not asking you any questions they want to hear answers to. <laughs> but uh, so, obviously, you did this Gates uh, a documentary. How uh, is this something that you've had on uh, just kind of the to do list for a while, or was and then it got basically just like after the the COVID nineteen thing, you're like, you know what, now's the time, or was this something that came afterwards? Yeah, very much came afterwards because I have had my eye on Gates for a number of years. And if you go and search through the references uh, on, to Gates in my work prior to this, you will see that it's it's there consistently over the years. I've been documenting the the GM mosquitoes or the uh, the vaccination drive or various parts of this agenda, even the technocratic part with the smart city in Arizona, I believe, that he's uh, partially funding all of that sort of stuff. It, the, the pieces were all there. But even myself, even someone who's dedicated to collecting and assembling and making sense of this information and who has been noting gates popping up here and popping up there and popping up there over the years, I never really consciously thought, oh, okay, we have to really get to the bottom of gates and what he's doing because this is going to be important. It never, never really clicked with me until, of course, this coronavirus freakout and Every single thing that I looked at with regards to this had some sort of connection to Gates funding. And at that point, and then when Gates is being paraded on everyone's TV screens as some sort of guru, that we must ask, how is this going to unfold from here, Mr. Gates, Mr. Epidemiologist, Mr. Immunologist, Mr. Virologist? What's his credentials again? Oh, that's right. He has none. He's just a, a billionaire. And that's why we're taking him seriously, because he's literally paying all these media outlets who are having him on as some sort of expert. It's ridiculous. And once I started to see that, I just thought, well, OK, we have to do this. So literally, that documentary was created in a month, basically from scratch. I had almost none of that assembled beforehand. So it was all done in the course of that crazy month, which <laughs> probably shaved a few years off the off my life just in terms of staying up and working on that. And it was crazy. But I'm glad. Glad I did it because I think I think the work speaks for itself and I think people can see that there's definitely a bigger agenda at play here. And I hope they also see this isn't about Bill Gates as one man who is the supervillain that we must have focus all our attention on. But he is just the perfect encapsulation of this agenda and he's connected to every part of it. Yeah, I've heard you talk about that in interviews that it's like you focus on Gates, but it's not per se that he's the most important character or the most but i mean honestly there's a lot of stuff a lot of people in the alternative media like you said bill gates his name comes up quite a bit when you're uh doing research but i never knew just how many like the octopus of influence he has on everything i mean uh, you know media to medicine to so many different things i mean it, it was it was pretty crazy and then the comparison to the rockefellers made perfect sense because yeah, he seems like our generation's Rockefeller in regards to just having influence on just about everything. Right. I, I know that we've talked about the Big Oil documentary quite a few times in the past, and I I, I would really hope, <laughs> I really hope that people would, uh, if they're encountering this for the first time or finding my work for the first time, I would hope they would go and watch or listen to that documentary, How and Why Big Oil Conquered the World, because I think that's the framework, the template 
through which we can understand what's happening right now. And it connects in so many different ways. So I did make mention of that, and I did sort of frame it uh, with regards to the Rockefellers. But I think that won't really click with people unless they're familiar with that history, because it really is a template, essentially, that is being followed here of how to create a monopoly uh, over a, a valuable resource, take that money that comes with that creation of that monopoly, and leverage that into power, social, economic, capital that can be used and spent for political purposes or for a specific agenda. That's exactly what Rockefeller did. And of course, created the PR industry as we know it in the process in order to rehabilitate uh, John D. Rockefeller's image. And that's exactly what Gates did, step by step. And as I point out in the documentary, uh, Gates' father, Bill Gates Sr., who is actually the second but actually, actually the third, William H. Gates, anyway, <laughs> it's a crazy family tree. But um, he specifically talked about the Rockefellers in his book uh, in, I think, 2010, where he was talking about his, his work with the foundation. And he specifically referenced the Rockefellers and said, you know, they, they were one of our templates and they showed us so many things, including how to stick with the problem, not just for a little while, but for decades or generations, if need be. And everywhere we've gone in the field of public health, the Rockefellers were there first. And of course, Bill Gates Sr. did meet with uh, David Rockefeller in 2001, I believe, where they were uh, both part of a symposium about philanthropy and philanthropic giving and causes of, of various sorts. And David Rockefeller co-hosted the 2009 secretive meeting at Rockefeller University with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett on how to reduce the world's population, which was re reported as the good club. These are good guys that are trying to figure out how to spend their money to best suit the earth by reducing the global population. Uh, again, it ties in in so many different ways. There's so much to go into, and every single bit of this documentary could have been a documentary into itself. But um, just putting it together, I at least hope people get the sense of sort of the overwhelmingly large story that's being portrayed here. Yeah, I mean, it, it, so many things that I think... And it's hilarious how many times people in the alternative media and, I guess, conspiracy theorists uh, world, for lack of a better term, uh, are right. I mean, you look at, like, depopulation. You look at the vaccine agenda. You look at eugenics. Like, these are things that come up all the time. And people are always looking at you like, yeah, yeah, you're crazy. Or, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're connecting dots that aren't there or whatnot. And now, like, the agendas become almost so obvious that a lot of, even the most skeptical people are starting to really second-guess things even like vaccines. I mean, one thing that I think is hilarious, and I've said this on past shows recently because it, it really just dawns on me how, how crazy it is, that how many people I know that poke their kid or willingly let the pediatrician poke their kid with every vaccine that they just want to give them, they're just like, yeah, it's time for another vaccine. Yeah, poke the kid. And now when it's time for them to take a vaccine, you're like, F that coronavirus vaccine. I'm not taking no bill. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Aren't you the same guy who lets the pediatrician poke you with every vaccine now that it's like your turn you're you're uh you're being more hesitant it's like it, it is uh surreal but have you does it seem like there is this changing of of consciousness in regards to the way people look at some of these topics that seem taboo or kind of uh you know conspiracy theorists yeah i i think demonstrably so i don't have to speculate about that i know that in the past couple of months i have received more an influx of more new people to this information than i've seen in years and years and years of doing this so it has been a, an incredible couple of months now the 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 danger or the problem may be that people might go back to sleep 
assuming we attain some sort of new status quo equal equilibrium and everything seems to be functioning and oh okay i guess there's a new vaccine we'll take it and that'll be it uh that that is a possibility at this point i don't think so because as you say i think we've only just begun to see the effects of everything that's gone on in the past few months especially the economic effects which yeah everyone's just been on a little vacation from reality for a few months and the unemployment checks are rolling in. So, you know, whatever. It's it's just like a vacation. This is great. Uh, I don't think people really understand how fundamentally things have shifted in the last few months, and they probably won't for another few months. So once that starts to play out and the real economic devastation, plus the second wave and the re-lockdown and then the third wave and the re-re-lockdown, I, I think we've only just begun to enter the event horizon of this black hole that's going to suck us all in. So I, I don't think people will be going back to sleep. But I, I see that that's, that sense of a lull right now. Everyone was interested for a month, but people are going back to sort of, sort of slipping into their old information habits at the moment. Yeah, you know, the the thing, you, you've done some amazing work since last time we discussed, talked just us two. And, you know, with the, the lies, damn lies, uh, that uh, video, I rewatched it recently because it, it is, you know, how quickly things are changing. It does seem old, you know, because it was a couple months old. And uh, I rewatched it to see how much has changed, like information wise or my perspective or, or on any of the things that uh, you discussed on uh, that video. And literally, you could watch it today and it's all relevant. Like, it's all like nobody ever debunked anything. Like, it wasn't like, you know, things that we thought were they were BSing about. There was some type of logical explanation that came afterwards. It, it's like you could watch it now and it's like, wow, like, it's not you know outdated it still makes perfect sense all the things they lied about they you know nothing has proven otherwise but yet people are talking about the second wave and people are actually like feeding into it again i'm like wait 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 like you were lied to the first time why are you even concerned about a second wave like this whole thing is just it boggles my mind yeah that's it that's that's a really good point. I mean, this is an unfolding story that is happening, you know, in real time. So I, that that slice of, of what I was doing there, whatever it was, two months ago or whatever, was a slice of what we knew at the time and what we didn't know and how can we quantify that and all of that. That was just looking at that. But it is a developing story. So it's very possible that in reality something else was going on and, the, you know, the, the, that was wrong. And that wouldn't make it valueless. It would just mean that that was a slice of what we knew at that particular time. But I think you're right. Yeah, no, that does actually still stand up to this point that there was demonstrable statistical trickery going on to try to gin up a scare that didn't really exist in reality. And none of that really has been debunked. And yet here we are, as you say, going into the second wave crisis under the exact same types of tricks. And Unfortunately, it did work with enough of the population that I think the political calculus has been made that they can continue to ratchet this up. And certainly in the American context with the selection circus and all of that, it's going to come to that. And so we st started to see the already, oh, Trump's holding a rally. That's going to be a super spreader event. But 500,000 people or whatever turn up for a George Floyd pro a funeral. That's totally fine. But don't go to your grandma's funeral because that'll kill people. I mean, it just it's just total insanity absolute total insanity has been introduced especially in the last few months and i think they really are testing the limits of people co people's cognitive processes and how far they're willing to bend reality to fit in line with what big brother is telling them to believe 
Yeah, the whole thing just boggles my... Like, everything becomes a political tool, and people don't realize that they're constantly being used and, and, and you know, getting worked up on a topic or subject or issue that even the people who are selling you on it don't really care for, you know, or don't really believe the nonsense they're giving you. I mean, one thing that boggled my mind was, like, you know, I was pretty outspoken with the articles I was sharing. I mean, I would share your stuff and, and plenty of other people's stuff that I'm a fan of that were making really good points. And, of course, every time I shared something on social media, I would get a immediate comment like, save lives, stay at home. What's the big deal? Just stay, you know, all this stuff. And uh, and I try to have logical conversations with a lot of people. And, and you know, that in to be honest, there were a lot of people that, if you had a discussion about the facts and the information, they seem to come around a little bit, or at least they seem like they could see it from your perspective. I mean, I think a lot of it is because all their information and their, and their perspectives were were built on lies and and I mean numbers that didn't make sense, uh, you know, tests that gave false positives, um, case after case after case of of you know misreporting. Uh, how many deaths in these hospitals, uh, the influx of, of um, just, you know, patients that these hospitals are supposed to get that never came. I mean, it was just like, it, 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 it it's like, but everybody, people would, some people would still be like, well, just stay at home. Just stay home. And if you can save one life, then it's worth it. Well, guess what? If you never drive a car ever again in your life, you might save many lives. If you if you go protest for another prohibition, I'm like, you're gonna, you could save some lives too because alcohol is connected to many uh, uh, tragic things. Uh, uh, but you're not doing that because we understand to be free humans, to be free creatures, and, and to be able to enjoy life to its fullest – it comes at a risk, and it's like it was amazing how many people would just like all of a sudden put this thing on a pedestal and just completely disregarded all the other things. And like you said, everything became a political political tool. You see it now with the protests. It's like completely not okay to protest the lockdown, but completely okay to protest anything else that might be you know be associated with the left. And it's like I don't care what you're protesting if you're doing it peacefully, you're not harming people. Yeah, go out and protest. Like you know, get. You're not harming people, but you are harming people if you're spreading the deadly coronavirus, right? So there you go. There you've just given the the out for all the people who will say, yeah, but you are harming people when you go when you step outside your home. It's such an insidious and such an incredibly effective trick that has been inserted to change the conversation in a way, isn't it? Uh, and this goes back to a point that I've been trying to articulate, and I still I don't think I found the quite the right way to say it, but we are entering a new paradigm, the b paradigm of biosecurity. And I've talked about this in regards to a Giorgio Agamben uh, essay that I, I think is extremely important in highlighting this new paradigm and what it really means. But essentially, it is taking that fundamental idea that, yeah, you can do anything you want as long as you're peaceful and as long as you're not harming anyone and they're going to put the 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 act of you physically being in a space with other people as a harmful act and once you do that you can outlaw all sorts of things that we once thought were uh, aren't these our god-given rights to go and peacefully assemble no not during a pandemic and what is a pandemic anyway well whatever the uh, health the unelected health authorities declare it to be if they say there's a pandemic to virus spreading then how dare you question that and how dare you step outside your door to peacefully assemble while that's happening? Unless, you know, you're peacefully assembling about this particular cause, in which case that's okay. Again, 
None of it makes sense. None of it is logical, but it is a test of compliance. And actually, I think of this event as the defining event of the the 21st century information war because it has been observed before that 9-11 was really the last sort of like major event, the major consciousness shaping event that took place in the pre-internet era. Of course, it wasn't pre-internet. Obviously, the World Wide Web existed, but there, you know, streaming video and all that sort of stuff was still years in the future. It, there was no social media as we know it today. Uh, there were some blogs and I guess CNN.com or what have you. I remember on the day of 9-11 being at work, so I couldn't actually watch the news coverage. I could. I was listening to a radio, and I was trying to find out more information, so going to CNN.com, but their servers were down because too many people were going. So it, this was really kind of a pre-internet event, 9-11. And it has been remarked many times that imagine if that sort of thing happened today and there would be uh, 10,000 a hundred thousand cell phone cameras on it, all live streaming, live tweeting, and Facebook streams, and whatever. It would be all over the place instantaneously from every conceivable angle. It would be a different event. And uh, I think for that very reason, that's why we don't have that kind of spectacular terror event in this day and age um, uh, at, at this point. So what do they do to try to regain that I want to say information monopoly. It wasn't exactly, it was more like an oligopoly, but that that was the state. Turn of the 21st century, it was an information oligopoly. As we all know, five or six corporations controlled 90 plus percent of what you saw, read, and, and heard every single day of your life back in that era. And then the internet and the flowering of new voices and everyone could have a say and all of this. So the last decade specifically has been an attempt to really bring that back under control and bring it back down to some sort of information oligopoly. One important factor in that has been the creation of these social media platforms that everyone goes to and just the homogenization of everything, which is an important part. I, I watched an interesting video recently, um, something about, like I can't remember the title, something like 2007, the, 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 the best year of the internet or something. And it was it was making the point that, you know, back in 2007 when I was a kid, because this is some younger gentleman making this video, and he said, back at that time, the internet was a, it felt so free and you could go, there were, you could go to this forum and you go to that forum and you could talk about these different things and, and everything had its own unique feel and looked a different way and you, you set it up differently and you had your own avatar and blah, blah, blah. But then you go to the social media era of today and everything is just so homogenized and you get your little your your page on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or whatever. But it looks like everybody else's and it's presented in the same way. And now increasingly, of course, as as we all know, they are determining what is allowed on that and what is not. And they will retroactively yank material that they suddenly decide is against whatever arbitrary rules they're setting today and. Blah, blah, blah. It is not yours. You are giving this information over to this controlled platform and then basically begging, but please let me have my say here in this public square. So that is one important aspect of the way this information is being contained. And then uh, the, the other important aspect and one that's becoming more important is one that I just addressed on my podcast last week about who will fact check the fact checkers. All these fact check sites that are coming along as it's sort of like the quasi it quasi-independent looking or feeling kind of way to propagate establishment narratives against the actual independent media. 
And uh, I went through a bunch of examples how that works. I'm just, uh, in, in, as we're recording this, I'm just recording a, a different uh, a video that will hopefully be out very shortly about this and how the, how the fact checkers work. But that's another way that they're trying to do this. But imagine that, so this COVID crisis is really crystallizing that. There are the people who will only listen to the fact check sites or only get their information from YouTube that's been pre-screened by the WHO or whatever. Um, as YouTube eventually just becomes essentially a, another TV network. I mean, that's all it's becoming at this point. Um, there's the people who get their information that way, but there are still independent voices like yours and like mine and like many people that, that we talk to on a regular basis that are still out there that you can find if you really try. And that that space for that independent thought is really the the bugbear of this biosecurity paradigm. They can't allow that sort of actual debate to happen because we will demonstrate how they've been lying and they've been lying since the beginning and here's how we, we can document it this way and this way and this way and look at this and look at Bill Gates and look at all the things he's associated with. We can still, we still have that space to do that and I think they're really trying to completely squelch that out because that, once they get rid of that, then almost everyone will eventually give in because it really is a question of what you were hearing and what you were seeing and this particular crisis is the perfect example of that. If you are listening to the media on a daily basis and they are reporting, today there's so many millions of cases and so many hundreds of thousands of deaths, and they're reporting it every single day, and every story becomes about this crisis that's happening. And look at this, you know, 37 new people tested positive today, and there's another person who died with COVID-19 today of COVID-19 with COVID, well, whatever. There's people dying left and right. When you hear that day after day after day after day, yes, it becomes in your mind the most important thing that's happening, even if it is not. So yes, if it, I know it's been said before, but let's say it again. If they reported every single day on car accidents, every single day, 13 more people died today in car accidents on the roads. Seven more people died today. 42 people died today in a horrific accident and blah, blah, blah. Every single day, if that was the only thing that they ever talked about, you better believe people would be all up in arms about road safety and what's going on. There's carnage on the streets and there'd be people arguing you shouldn't be allowed to drive your car during this pandemic of car accidents and whatever. It is, it is all about perception management, and this is the perfect example of that. And I think so this is a test of compliance of the general population. Will they go along with the narrative? Will they lock down? Will they defy their own common sense in telling people you are guilty of murder if you step outside of your house, unless it's for an approved cause? It's just a compliance test in every way. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people have failed. But as as we said, there are more there's so many people who are starting to wake up to this right now. Yeah, you know, I think that sensor thing is probably one of the most important topics out there for that reason, because honestly, if we can't get the information out there, then what good is the information? And that's why when I had you on on that alternative media uh, Zoom conference call. The whole purpose of it was kind of kind of brainstorm ways of fighting back, way solutions, all that stuff. And I, I think one of the things we kind of, I guess, one of the solutions what we're kind of brainstorming or or, or or resolving and and seeing how we can make it work is really creating something that everybody can use but yet everybody can have their own spots because i think one of the biggest problems this is this is the thing is 
you know, and I, I actually, Ernest uh, Hancock came on that call after you did, and uh, you know Ernest very well. I actually, for, when he jumped on the call, it didn't even hit me who he was until I heard his voice. And then I, <laughs> he has that, just one of those voices that you just uh, stays with you. And uh, so once he started talking, I'm like, oh my God, that's Ernest. And, uh, but I love what he's doing. And I think, you know, we do need, but the, the other problem, right, is something that I mentioned on that show was, and for people listening who has who haven't heard it, we did this uh, huge Zoom conference call of the alternative media community, just trying to gather a bunch of people from the alternative media community to talk about censorship, because I, regardless where you stand on any issue, uh, it affects us all. It affects anybody who has a different perspective, regardless if you agree with it or disagree with it. But if we all agree that all the perspectives should be or should be there to explore if, if if you want to, then it's an issue that affects you. And, you know, I, I had Dell Bigtree on not too long ago. Magically, I had iTunes. I never had iTunes issues ever. All magically, I had iTunes issues where people, you know, couldn't listen to that episode on iTunes. And um, so, and this is a recurring theme, but the the other issue isn't just censorship. It's how do people find other people's work. And and Midnight Mike from the OBDM podcast, who helped me put together that that show, uh, he uh, he's actually working on creating an algorithm that could suggest certain topics, certain videos, certain podcasts. So if you're going down the Federal Reserve rabbit hole and, you know, watching a Century of Enslavement, you'll get a little suggestion to something, a researcher that also is looking into the topic or done videos on it or whatever. And that's what we need. We need something like that that's on, you know, so then you can click on those videos just like, you know, as you use YouTube, people can go on YouTube and then they can find your website from yeah. YouTube. It's a tool that, yeah, yeah. I mean, even though we hate it, it's a, if it's there. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was going to say. What we need is 2010 era YouTube. That's really it because that is what got me all those people who would never have heard of me, never seen my work, but they saw a related video and they, uh, they went down the rabbit hole and that was exceptionally effective. That's why allow me to be pessimistic about this for a second that's why all of these I, I think they're great and we should pursue absolutely every possible path but these ideas for creating this sort of here's the place where all the censored people are going to go and congregate great yeah okay but but it will never have that effect that say 2010 era youtube had where all of that information was commingling with all of that other information and you got everyone from grandma looking for uh, you know videos of, uh, of cats or whatever to uh, teenage girls looking for makeup videos, teenage boys looking at videos of cars or whatever. And oh yeah, and people looking for news and information and all of that commingling and all of those perspectives coming together and there's always the chance. And back, remember, YouTube used to have a front page. And I even made it to the front page of YouTube once for a really bizarre video. I told this story a few times, but I had I did this like three minute video one day where I had just seen Children Full of Life, which we've talked about as one of the documentaries that I highly recommend people watch. To this day, I still think if you haven't seen that, please watch it. Um, but I did a little three minute video just after having watched that and I was really affected by it. So I, I did a little three minute video just to say, hey guys, I just saw this excellent documentary. Everyone should watch it. And for some reason, that little video made it to the front page of YouTube. So overnight, hundreds of thousands of people got to see it and not just hundreds of thousands of people who would generally be interested in the quarter report, but all sorts of people. So there were all sorts of comments uh, down below that like, 
why is YouTube recommending this to me? What, what, who is this guy? What's going on? <laughs> Which I thought, well, that's great. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, I mean, I'm sure only a quarter of a sliver of a fraction of a percentage point of people actually bothered to go and watch that Children Full of Life based on that recommendation, but at least some of them did. And I saw the video, the numbers for that video, uh, the view count go up on right after that. So I'm, I was very glad to see that. Um, but that speaks to the power of that type of everyone's going anyone can find anything on this platform and there that did exist to a certain extent at least back then obviously that doesn't exist today and i'm not sure that'll ever be recreated and if it is here's the real pessimistic part if it is if that sense of that of a place where everyone's commingling with everyone and it's really free if that ever existed again it would either be controlled from the start or it would be bought out like YouTube was, you know, like that. I mean, th I just yeah. don't foresee that happening again. Yeah, but you know what? Right now, uh, the difference between now and then is that now there, there does seem like it, it's so obvious that everything that we're seeing online from, you know, your, your suggestions on Google when you search stuff to... You know, your phone suggestions to uh, to YouTube, whatever, that all of it's being censored. I mean, the fact check stuff on, on Facebook was ridiculous. I mean, I was sharing stuff, and then like a month after I shared it, it'd be, you know, I'd get a little notification telling me that there was a, a warning on this, and it was misinformation or disinformation, and it's, it, which was phenomenal, because it was like, really, like, there, there's evidence after evidence of, of mainstream media misguiding people, uh, obviously yeah. pushing an agenda i wonder if they're going back and retroactively labeling all they're those not. wmd stories or whatever exactly no of course not yeah and and that's a huge issue because it's like why are you treating if you're going to put alternative media on a pedestal and and say that they have to be held to these standards and everybody should and when cbs lies about which footage of a hospital they're showing and gets caught that it's not a new york hospital if that's misleading then you know what they should also get a little warning or, or whatnot so it's just it, it's ridiculous and i think now more and more you're seeing people just getting fed up with it and wanting a solution and wanting i think like you know back in the day people liked youtube and and even when there was some censorship you could still you know even some years ago uh you could kind of still go down some rabbit holes if you did enough uh looking around but now it's like impossible to find anything that's not just mainstream 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 and uh so i think there what you know like the truth seeker app is something that it's kind of cool i don't know if you're familiar with it your work's actually on there but it's a it's a it's an app that's kind of like that that idea where it has just a bunch of alternative media people on the left people on the right people who don't have you know a, a party at all and and just uh and and you can go on there and you can get alternative media i think we need that uh mike's you know, working with D Live, and I think he just—he's working also with what is it, IPS, whatever it's called, the, the um, IPFS. Yes, he's working with that too, and and uh, you know, I just got an email today about him, uh, you know, getting that set up and whatnot. We're actually gonna do a swap cast tomorrow talking about it, and um, so we're really, Mike's really pushing for it because he's a tech guy. Uh, it, it, pushing for creating this and just being, you know, putting alternative media and somebody like yourself, it's like you'd still have your website, you'd still have everything. You can click on, you know, uh, everything goes back to your website, but at least you have a place where you can get suggestions and you can get, you know, he even did a D Live uh, stream where it did 24 hours a day just streaming alternative media uh, shows. He did mine, Sam's, and, uh, you know, Charlie's and, and the OBDM podcast just to kind of test 
tested and see how it works. But I think now, and talking to Ernest, I was just on Ernest's uh, show, uh, what day is it, Monday? Uh, last week, so sometime uh, late last week, I believe. And um, and he, he's super passionate about this too. You know, he's he's all on board. And of course, he's. I'm sure he's told you the same thing. He could foresee this, and he knew this was going to happen a long time. And he, he was right. He was absolutely right. He did, he did for, foresee this. And uh, it, even the pandemic documentary, I mean, when you see how orchestrated that fight against that documentary was when literally in like 24 hours it went from being shared everywhere and being uploaded everywhere to disappearing everywhere i mean to to think about the power that big tech has to do that and how ridiculous it is you know and that somebody debunking the video could basically show you the whole video as long as they're calling it a hoax as long as they're debunking it You could watch the video. So it wasn't so dangerous that you couldn't watch it. You just couldn't watch it and make up your own mind. You had to watch it with somebody else influencing what you're watching. And that's the part that really just drove me effing crazy. It it made me so upset because I'm like, do people not see how insane? I would would talk to people about it. And people immediately are like, oh, it's a right-wing anti-vax documentary. And I'm like, what do you, huh? I'm like, what do you? Do? I'm like, what exactly do you disagree with? And people would just send me some article of like, oh, it's debunked. I'm like, are you, I'm like, the Wikipedia page got locked and she couldn't even do anything about it. I'm like, this was orchestrated. If anything, you should think about how dangerous, dangerous it is that all the big tech companies could come together to basically make this disappear because they were worried about people actually asking questions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that speaks to the incredible power that exists right now to lock down information. And it's only going to get worse from here. But I remember even years ago uh, hearing about the company that controlled, I guess, managed Joe Rogan and his content and big pixels or whatever, which is what will flag anytime you upload any sort of Rogan content to YouTube or whatever. It'll automatically get flagged by this company, which I understand with his management company or he had contracted the rights to or whatever. Um, but I had heard at the time and I never really looked into the bottom of it, but it wasn't just like the content ID system that YouTube has, where if you are a, a content creator, you can uh, add your content to the content ID system so that then it can automatically check uh, new uploads against what you have uploaded as content ID. So it can basically see, oh, this is just a re-upload of your thing here. So it can automatically flag it. That's at least theoretically how the content ID system works. But from what I understand, this Bent Pixels could actually identify Joe Rogan's voice. Just identify the voice anywhere on any upload that's going on and automatically flag that and bring it to their attention. Which, again, I don't know if that is true, but I, I, I think it's clearly trending in that direction anyway. Eventually it will be that there will be an algorithm possible that you could deploy that will find James Corbett's voice on any particular platform that you're you're choosing to look for it and flag that content and you know one doesn't have to go out too far on a limb to say if and when the order comes down to take james corbett off the internet boom flip that switch and suddenly on youtube or twitter or facebook or wherever my stuff is posted will get taken down all at once i think that that's certainly possible we'll put it that way Um, it's just a question of how that sort of thing gets implemented and that is say it with me you knew it was going to come up that is the memory hole. It is 1984. That is exactly what Orwell was envisioning, that they will be able to completely just airbrush people out of history. Like, you know, Stalin and the Soviets used to airbrush uh, people out of history once they became unpopular with the regime. Well, they, they can do that digitally now, and that will start to happen. So that's another, 
another part of what we need to be doing is actually physically saving our own copies of any important material and checking against what uh, what emerges in the future. Uh, because I guarantee you, at some point in the future, you're going to be looking for videos. And not only will they not be there, but no, the video you think you remember where you thought somebody was saying something, well, suddenly he's not saying that thing. How do, what? I, I'm sure that it used to say that, but now it's saying this. Wait, what's going on? That is coming. It is literal 1984 that we're stepping into. And that that's what scares me, because... Again, once they get their information oligopoly back in place and all the independent voices are squelched out, who will even be here to document that kind of thing when it happens? And eventually, at some point, once they've gaslit you enough, you might start to believe it. Maybe I am going crazy. Maybe Bill Gates never did say that. I don't know. I I can't find the video anymore. Oh, well, oh, well, I guess I'll just start believing this. Yeah, I mean, our memories are sometimes, you know, you can be in a, a... The exact same place with a group of people and everybody can kind of remember some events slightly different so if they did have the power to and, and that technology exists it just isn't very good right now or it's good good enough probably to, to trick some people the publicly available version isn't that great that's either. true good point yeah and uh so you think about it, it it's it wouldn't be that hard to trick people that something wasn't said because we already question, question our, our memory all the time anyways like oh do i am i remembering that indirect uh incorrectly or whatnot i mean some of this is just insane there's so in in ludlow where i live in massachusetts um so massachusetts had this change.org petition going around because they're they're proposing kids wear masks when they have to go back to school and of course i signed it and shared it and and whatnot um, all of a sudden, I mean, thousands and thousands of people signed it, and it was going around uh, really quickly. And all of a sudden, the petition was just taken off. It was it just disappeared. I mean, there's just big tech has so much control over everything that, and it is it, it is a little scary. I mean, you look at like uh, the Plandemic documentary. I think it was Plandemic Movie com was the only place you could find it right from their website. Well, guess what? That website disappeared. You know, so. Even a domain name that I'm sure Mickey, the the filmmaker, uh, bought and paid and 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 you know owned, uh, somehow they made that disappear. You know, so it's just like nothing is off limits and nothing is sacred and nothing is impossible. I mean, they will just do whatever it takes to control the narrative and control what people see and control what people think. I mean, another thing that's a little scary. So I saw somebody share that. Everybody already has the COVID-19 tracking app already downloaded on their phone. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, even Android? So I go on my phone, and of course, I find it. I actually screenshot it, and then uh, I think I, I uh, posted it on, on social media. Um, I told people, I'm like, you might want to check if this thing's on. Uh, even if you don't even know you had this app, you have it now. And uh, so it's it's insane. You know, it's insane that like they're just your phone's downloading apps that you didn't ask for turning on i mean obviously it's listening to you and uh that's why i think we need you know the the fight against censorship and 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 getting people this alternative media to me almost seems like the biggest topic ever because it's the only way people are going to be aware of what's going on and yeah. if it means that we have to come up with some crappy website that gives you some some you know some videos to get you down some rabbit holes and some websites because this is the thing it's like james i i'm aware of your website obviously i mean i i go on, on there often but there's many people if it's not on youtube if it's not on google if it's not suggested somewhere you know one of these sites that everybody uses then they're never gonna i mean obviously they're not gonna find you on facebook or twitter now but um no but but i am still on youtube 
Yeah, you are on your you, And you, I am there specifically because it is the one place where I know that I can reach people who would not hear my voice otherwise. The Bill Gates documentary has combined over a million views, different uploads, different places. You know, I mean, over a million people have seen that because it is on YouTube. If it was just on my website, it would be in the thousands. So, I, yeah, I, I understand. And that is that is the problem. So I'm going to continue to use their, their enemy information weapons platform as long as they continue to offer it to me. Um, as long as I can I continue to actually get real information out. And I'm not trying to censor or calculate. I got an email from someone recently. You know, how do you how do you do it? How do you maintain? How do you stay up on YouTube or whatever? I'm like. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just doing what I do, and I'm putting it out there. And if they choose to censor it, well, they're going to choose to censor it. But uh, the one that I'm surprised at, actually, so far, Bill Gates' plan to vaccinate the world. I was absolutely convinced that one was going to be censored, blocked, or algorithmically messed with in some way, because, specifically because that, of all of the work, that one specifically seems most in in uh, against the new arbitrary the youtube will only allow things that go in line with what the who is saying kind of thing um but it's still there so i don't know and uh you know are they are they allowing certain uploaders to upload certain things but not but because they have enough of a following that they might kick up a stink but quietly getting rid of everyone else i'm aware that i'm in a privileged position at this point having built up an audience over the past 13 years that i can put out work that will be seen by people and will be heard. Even if they do scrub me from YouTube, there will still be tens of thousands of people who know of my work and are interested in following it and will follow me to other platforms. I know that if I was James Corbett of 2007, starting out in 2020, I, I wouldn't know how to do it at this point. I wouldn't know how to build up this kind of audience, and I don't know if I'd ever be able to. Um, the game has shifted so completely. So it is a genuine problem. Um, and, hey, let's make it even worse. This isn't just a problem of these platforms and how to distribute information on them. Eventually, it is the hardware itself that is going to be the problem. Because you note, I mean, for example... Hey, I, all of a sudden I got this COVID tracker on my phone. I guess there must have been a firmware update that I, I didn't know about. But yeah, yeah, exactly. They can push things out to you without you even knowing about it until after the fact, because we're in the midst of a pandemic, folks. You got to do what you got to do. Um, so that can happen. But even more fundamentally than that, the devices that we use are getting more and more dumbed down. Uh, and I mean that in the sense that, uh, to put it in you know Marxist terms, my means of production is sitting right here on on this desk. I am using it right now. My means of production is this computer. That's how I produce the content I produce. And this is what I need. That and an internet connection is how I do what I do. Um, and, you know, it does what it does. And I can, I can edit video and I can record things and I can upload things and do all of that. But more and more, we are being pushed onto the phone or the fondle slabs or the pads or these kind of dumbed-down devices that are essentially glorified vending machines. These are no longer means of production. They are means of consumption. You use these little devices to consume content, not so much to create it. Yeah, you can make a video on your phone, I guess, but it's not going to be a fully produced, edited production like you can do on your desktop. And we are being moved more and more off of actual physical machines that like sit on your desk and that you can do things with into these little fondle slabs that are glorified vending machines. And more and more, that's the direction things are going to trend. And eventually, it's not even going to be things that you're physically fondling. It's going to be 
Alexa or some wearable or hearable you put it in your ear or you wear your Google Glasses version you know 7.0 or whatever and that's all you're you're going to need and you can consume everything through that produce not so much but who cares about that it'll be you know everything you want at any time you can just consume it and that's the direction we're going in so that to me is kind of I know it's more of a theoretical thing but it is coming and I really see that as being the future of where they're trying to take us with this technology less so that we can actually do anything with it and more so that we're just receiving things with it well we can't only consume right because then who's going to create the stuff that we're going to consume only the big corporations that have I access see. to the actual production uh, means of production, which will be more and more out of the hands. I don't think it'll ever be like outlawed. Yeah, you yeah. can't create, you can't do this, but it will be more and more. People will just naturally, as they have over the, I mean, literally think back a decade and try to tell someone from 2010 the extent to which your phone would be the central focus of your life. No, you're crazy. That's crazy talk. I remember when I got my first smartphone and people were looking at it like this alien technology, like what on earth? What is that a computer? What are you doing? Like it was so bizarre and no one, even myself, could have really envisioned the extent to which it has become a part of everyone's daily reality so that they cannot leave their house without it, without having a panic attack. Uh, that's that's crazy. And that's one decade. So fast forward to 2030. What is it in the pipeline for 2030 that we can't even begin to imagine the way it will utterly transform our lives over the course of the next decade? Again, I don't know. You don't know. We could prognosticate. But there will be events that will completely transform our daily lives in the course of this decade. And uh, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I'm going to say probably not for the better. Not if we just go along with it. Yeah. And dur during this lockdown... One thing that you know, I saw with at least my son was, and he's five, and my daughter's turning four in August, so similar ages to your kids. They, they, uh, my son was just attached to the tablet because there's nothing to do. And then my wife would be like, "You got to get off the tablet." I'm like, "Yeah," but I'm like, "Give him a break. There's literally nothing to do, and that thing is designed to brainwash him to keep watching it." So I'm like, I remember telling my wife, "I'm like, you have to." I'm like, put this in perspective. I'm like, that thing has scientists psychologists, people who come together, bright minds, to figure out how to keep kids and adults clicking. And you're asking our son to be mentally strong enough to put that yeah. thing down when there's nothing else to do. And, you know, yeah. we can only be outside so many hours of the day. So I'm like, give him a little yeah. bit of a break because that thing is literally brainwashing him and, and, yeah. get, and you know, turning him into a crack addict, you know. Uh, right. So, yeah, no, exactly right. That's exactly why I've never given my kids a pad or a tablet or a really? phone to play with. I just will not do it. And y you notice that uh, all of the inventors of this technology, uh, time and time again, you see, you'll see an article here and an article there, but put them together. All of these tech gurus are saying, I would never give this to a kid. I do not give them to my children. Uh, across the board. It's, it's almost like they know something about this that we don't. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, like, and that's the problem. Once they have played with it and once they've experienced it, yeah, they're they're going to be addicted to it. And try keeping children away from it. I mean, I know I know some people who aren't parents like to sit on a high horse about it. But once you are a parent and you uh, you have children who are in this world, yeah, try keeping them away from certain things that they get. They All their friends are doing it. Yeah, it's it's hard. It is genuinely hard. And it's going to get harder from here. So, I mean, from your perspective, are you going to 
ever let them have tablets or is this one of those things have you thought about it yeah no at some point i mean of course they are they're existing in this world at some point they're going to have to interact with computers and what have you i'm just trying to delay that as much as possible especially during the formative as they say i you know first five years are so important to the formation of their character and all that Maybe true. I don't know, but it certainly it certainly seems right for absolutely for the first five years. My boy is now uh, seven. My girl is four. So they've survived this long without being screen addicts. So hopefully they can survive a little bit longer at least. And yeah, I know. I mean, at school, they're going to be playing with computers and what have you. So it's going to become a part of their life. But the longer I can delay that, I think at least they'll have a better head start against this. But at some point, yeah, at some point it becomes the responsibility of a parent who is trying to raise children to grow up in this world as it exists, you have to at least in some way guide them through this process of doing the things that they're going to have to do at some point. Unless you go and live in a cabin in the woods, uh, away from all technology, which we are not. So at some point, they're going to have to learn how to deal with this technology. I just want to do that at an age-appropriate time, you know, rather than giving the three-year-old some you know, literal crack machine device to completely alter their brain chemistry. Just try to delay that until they've formed some more of their synapses and hopefully have a, a bit of a better grasp of what's going on. Yeah, you know, the hard part, too, about these uh, par- these questions, these internal dilemmas parents have right now, you know, on when do you, when do you give them tablets, when do you let them have a Facebook account, all this stuff, we don't have history to learn from. You know, it's there is, there is no... Uh, blueprint no nobody who can tell you well i did this with my kids because from their generation to the next generation things change so drastically that it's like our kids have become a a experiment like well let's try giving it to them at this age and see what happens yeah yeah exactly right yeah it is i mean it is this is uncharted waters in a lot of ways um and we can look to historical parallels and things I mean, there have been panics about every new technology that's ever been introduced. And we might look back at it as being quaint. Oh, you know, parents used to be so concerned about... Actually, I mean, reading, even reading has been, throughout history, sometimes been portrayed as, oh, you can't, you, you lock yourself in a room and read by yourself. That's such an antisocial activity. That, that was castigated at a certain point in time back in history. So, I mean, every new technology comes with certain new ideas about how to use that to incorporate or not into society. Um, And we're no different in that sense. But unfortunately, now it is being done with this technology that is electronic, that interfaces with your brain in a way that is clearly not natural, whatever that word means. It certainly doesn't apply to our interactions with these machine devices, which as, as you say, and as people can go and research for themselves, has been documented to have been crafted specifically to keep your attention as long as possible. I mean, it's not like just sort of some random thing that came along. No, all the notifications and the bells and the whistles and the way that the the thing functions is designed to keep you staring at that screen. And unfortunately, that's a science that is fairly well refined at this point and only getting more and more refined as we put more and more of our data into the the, you know, AI algorithms, the whatever you want to call them, that are training the computers about how to keep our attention even better. Uh, it's a self-feedback loop that's getting worse and worse with each iteration. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's no easy answers here. But uh, at any rate, I still believe in the power of humanity to be able to 
maintain cognitive liberty, at least if that is the goal. And so, if anything, I would see my responsibility as a parent to teach my children about the value of cognitive liberty, that you have your own mind and you can use it to determine what it is you want and how you can go about doing that and 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 you can reason about your your own ideas and and test them against reality and all of this the 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 hows of understanding the world rather than me trying to tell the children okay this is this and this is this and you must believe this and you must believe that no of course not that's that's not the valuable way of of teaching anyone anything but teaching them how to reason how to think how to test their ideas how to interact with others and and ethically and what what is how do we do that and what is the ethical principles we should be living by and all of this these are these are the big questions and they they are essentially the same questions that humanity's always been dealing with we just have different ways of dealing with it now yeah it's funny because i had jay dyer on my last podcast and i was saying how one of the things i love about philosophy is that you're constantly having the same unanswered questions over and over again and you're you know you're trying to just discuss them and you realize that there's not really a finish line like these and that's what makes it mm-hmm. fascinating and a lot of these mm-hmm. questions that that uh you know like like you said we're discussing are are things that really there aren't answers to and we're probably going to constantly be debating and whatnot i mean one thing you said about uh, big tech people not letting their kids use tablets there was that rumor too about bill gates not vaccinating their kids. Right. Uh, did you uh did you find that to be true have you looked into mm-hmm. that no, if if I had found it, I obviously would have included that in the documentary. Um, I have not found any reliable source for that. I have found some demonstrably unreliable sources for that that don't source anything that's <laughs> like the Ripple Effect podcast. Real. If anyone has any documentable, real evidence about that, of course I will broadcast that as far as I can. Of Was course, there- that is relevant, and it may be true. I'm not saying it isn't true. Yeah. I'm just saying I I don't have any reason for believing that. Was there any piece of any piece of information or anything that you found throughout this whole journey of looking into Bill Gates that really stunned you or you didn't know at all? Yes, in a sense. Um, I think in a sense, I knew I knew about Gates and Adhar and the biometric ID and that sort of thing, but I it never really clicked for me how these agendas fit together. It was in the course of researching this that I started to see the way that this fits together. And why is Gavi part of ID2020? And how does, what is this? What is going on here? And when that really started to click for me, that's when the bigger picture started to open up. And that, I mean, in a sense, I knew all of the pieces of that puzzle, but I'd never really seen the puzzle put together uh, before. So when that started to fall into place, that's one of those horrible moments. I, I want to say, awesome but in the sense like awe-inspiring like it's incredible to look at the the way that they are taking these pieces and putting them together and oh it all fits together look that puzzle piece fits right in there oh yes vaccines and biometric id and the new the new vaccine technology is going to change you to genomic level and they're going to have uh, electronic remote updates that they'll be able to give you to your vaccines and uh, oh it all fits together now i see it but it's one of those things like so many times think about the big oil documentary which i like to think has gotten out there million plus people have seen it i've gotten a lot of feedback over the years from it but that is a story essentially it's a story that isn't quite intuitive i mean everyone knows something about rockefellers and oil and monopoly and something but they don't 
I, I don't think many people have really sat down and put all of those pieces together in that way to paint the picture and to show that story. Now, think from my perspective, sitting there in 2017, I had most of that story. I had all the pieces of that puzzle and I could see the bigger picture that it was painting. But I, I, even trying to articulate to that, that to someone, how do you do that? Like it's so many different things that you have to put together to see them together and then hopefully people get it. So I, I created that documentary as a way of doing that, as a way essentially of answering, you know, but, but why would the oil companies be for a global warming propaganda? That doesn't make any sense, James. Well, here's why. <laughs> create this but that's, big two, that's also like two Bill, plus hour documentary. Bill, Bill Gates, like why would somebody who's trying to push the vaccines and make people safer uh, want to de- depopulate? you know the the earth it it sounds so crazy until you actually see exactly right. he's actually yeah. attempting to logic like make sense of it like it's a logical thing to think i'm like i don't even understand how you can even logically in your head believe this nonsense like this idea of that like i'm trying to save the world with vaccines but you know population is an issue population growth and i'm like do people not realize how insane this sounds you know and i mean w- so from your research, I mean, obviously, I think it's, a, it's similar to like the Rockefellers. What what exactly do you think it do you think it, it is ideology that motivates these guys? Are they really great? I mean, because I think they're, they're they're so rich and that it, I almost feel like you get to a point, you know, so you think like psychologically, right? Like I get a, um, a brand new Mustang. Um, my my excitement level, my happiness level goes from like zero to ten. Now to reach a ten again, I would have to get like a Bentley, then a you know whatever, then whatever the next nicest car is, yeah. and then I get to a point where like I've reached ten on everything. I've been to every exotic island. I've been around beautiful girls. I've bought every material things that could bring me any sense of happiness. What's next? And this goes into like you know the uh, just the, you've done videos on it. You know just how uh, billionaires and, and millionaires, you know how they have traits of psychopaths and stuff like that, and. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what do you think it is? Do you think it, that has a, that a contributing factor that some of these people have just gone to the point where just like the next best thing is power or finding some type something else that kind of gets them off that because they've had everything else materialistically that that could? Uh, yeah, I think we have to look beyond the profit motive on these types of things. Um, and I say that specifically because I don't think money is ever really just about money. Money is about what you can get with money. And that generally translates into power, power of some sort. It is about power. And I think especially when you get beyond the millionaire level into the billionaire level and you start talking about people who can do all sorts of unimaginable things, you could never in your, your entire life spend that amount of money reasonably. It's not about the money anymore. That's just points in a game that is being played. But what do you cash those points in for? You cash them in for power. And I think you have to start understanding it, at least at that level. And as for the sort of bigger motivations, whatever's pushing these people on, that's when it gets speculative. And I don't know. I mean, there are people who say that there's some sort of religious motivation going on here or something. I don't know. I mean, how do I know? I'm not on the inside. I cannot read the hearts and minds of of other people. I don't know what what is motivating them. But it is something to note that someone like like a David Rockefeller who lived to be over a century and yet into well into his 90s was incredibly passionate and driven and involved 
in all of these different activities. Like, one could understand someone like a Rockefeller wants to try to control the world for his family and whatever. I mean, you can kind of imagine that desire. But imagine keeping that going past retirement age, past, you know, 70s, 80s, into your 90s, and you're still actively involved in all of this stuff and really trying to bring it about and traveling to Bilderberg and doing all of these things. Isn't that kind of crazy? I mean, what person is motivated to that extent and what motivates that that is not something that i, think I addiction can understand addiction to power i mean you you look at it i've said this over and over again on the show if you take the symptoms of addiction and 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 you just you can insert power you can put in insert money you can insert alcohol drugs or whatever but if it is alcohol or drugs or what one of those things or sex or whatever maybe porn then we look down upon it but when somebody's addicted to money even though they have the same symptoms they'll they'll lie and cheat to get more of it not just money i'll i'll, I'll put money and power in the same category it, it, you'll lie and cheat to get more of it the second you wake up to the second you go to bed that's all you're thinking of consuming is getting more of it you you know it, you never get your fix or if you do you you can't wait to get more of it i mean the, these are all the same symptoms the only difference is that when when it's money and power mm-hmm we look up to you in America like you, you're some successful person that we should all strive to be like and the way I look at it is like like you said if I had more like that amount of money I would never work a day in my life I mean I would be sitting with my family I mean I would just hang out maybe read books maybe do you know explore the world with my family I mean but okay so this is where I can I'm going to contradict myself because the people like yourself and, and myself right like you didn't start your work for money reasons, right? And I obviously didn't because I'm still not making money doing this. <laughs> but um, yeah, I yeah, do you get what I'm thing. saying? I would absolutely continue doing my report even if I was a multimillionaire. In fact, I'd be doing it a lot more fancy with you know better production equipment and what have you. But I gotta say, by the time I reached my 90s, I would probably be thinking about winding it down. I don't know if I'd still be motivated to get that out that, you know, get the latest daily news out today. <laughs> At some point, I think I would give but, it a rest. But but these people don't. Kissinger is still around, still kicking, still doing it. And he is now in his 90s. So, I mean, but think, think about, about it, it, right? Like, so you and I, we have a desire to really, you know, for, I guess... I'll just use my, my the title of my podcast. The, the, I mean, that's the reason I, I titled it "The Ripple Effect" because because we truly believe that we can start a ripple and we want to try to make a difference in the world. Well, these people do too. Only their perspective of the world or what they think is the best for the world is different than right. us, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that. I mean, that's one way I try to um, understand people who are almost un, un, not understandable to me is to at least give them the benefit of of basic humanity and there are people who would argue that that's not that shouldn't even apply here i don't know again I, at the very least i think psychopaths are you could almost argue are a different species even if they're not a different species but anyway regardless of that just give your average opponent the benefit of the doubt that they are motivated similarly to yourself they want to do what's good what, they want to do good things. They want to think of themselves as a good person, whether or not that's true. But yes, it all depends on your definition of what good is. And if you have an underlying ideology or some sort of overarching narrative that says, well, the good is whatever is good for me and my family because we have better genes and we should propagate into the future or whatever kind of nonsense pseudoscience, mental gymnastics justification they have to give to what they want to do, 
people will find a way to do that. That is also a fundamental part of human psychology, and it applies to everyone from the lowest level all the way up to the multi-billionaire jet setters. So uh, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I do believe that most people at any rate are motivated by trying to be good and they want to be seen as good and they want to think of themselves as good, but their idea of good can be very, very vastly different than your idea. Yeah, I think both those things are, are very interesting. The idea of do they truly believe what they're doing is best for the world, that they're protecting all of us from ourselves, or they're doing something for the greater good, whatever they think that may be, or is it really they are psychopaths who get a fix or get turned on or, or has have this addiction to power, and and the next best thing is having influence on everything and anything. And and uh, well, yeah. Let's put it this way: What if you truly believed, really, really, truly believed that the future of humanity is merging with the machines and going on to the brave new world future of interstellar travel and propagating the stars or whatever? And that is what this is all aiming at. If you really have that perspective and really keep that perspective in mind. What does it matter if this particular person or that particular person has to die in order to achieve that agenda? No, it's the, the end goal is what we're aiming at. That's what's important, not how you achieve it. It's the ends, not the means. And I think people can very easily trick themselves into that form of thinking. And the uh, cinematic illusion that comes to mind is the third man, where uh, they're in the Ferris wheel and they're going up and looking at the people down there. And he says, look at all those people scurrying around there like little ants. What would it matter to you if a few of them stopped scurrying? You know, what does it matter? Just look at it from that perspective, the big perspective. And when you're a multi-billionaire, trillionaire, whatever, you create the money out of nothing so it doesn't even matter to you. Once you have that perspective, the 20,000-foot the view of humanity... Yeah, there's a lot of little individual ants out there scurrying around doing whatever they think is important, but that doesn't matter. You know, we're going to the, we're going to merge with the machines. We're going to the stars, whatever it is. And I will do anything to get to that level. And so that means, yeah, we're going to have to force a lot of ants to do things they don't want to do, and we're going to have to kill the ants that won't comply. What does it matter? We're doing what's good for humanity, not an individual person. Humanity. It's always when you move it out to the collective level that any individual suffering becomes. Yeah, it's just a an unfortunate part of the equation. But what are you going to do? Well, eugenics was similar, right? I mean, they really believed that it was for the better of human society, right? Yeah. And I still get people all the time emailing me. Well, so, so what's wrong with that? Yeah. Shouldn't we be trying to breed the best with the best? And, what, you know, so what if you sterilize a bunch of poor and, you know, feeble-minded, whatever, nonsense? You know that most of the people out there are, are, are useless anyway, right, James? I don't know. I don't know what to, to, to say to people who have that perspective other than that you are you are the enemy. <laughs> that that perspective is the enemy, uh, if you believe that. Um, because, no, that's not what it's about. It is about doing right to your fellow human beings, individually, as individuals. Anything that you can do to any individual should be an ethically and morally responsible thing to do. And anything that you would not ethically and morally do to an individual is wrong, period. Yeah, and that's why this whole race thing that's going on in the U.S., and it, I know you've said it in, in recent past interviews, how quickly nobody gives a crap about the coronavirus when it just like literally was everywhere and the only thing anybody talked about or consumed or you know discussed on social media was the coronavirus. And literally overnight... Like, it's like yesterday's, you know, news. Like, nobody cares. And 
uh, you know, I think about like people like Bill Gates and uh, your documentary, which is timely and, and goes into, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you, was timely. Yeah. Good, good point. Yeah. Almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. As you say, swept aside. Anyway. But I, I think, uh, you know, I shared the documentary recently and I think the first time I ever heard it uh, or somebody suggested it was uh, you to on, on this show, uh, Mafia 21 and years ago. And I still think it's a super important documentary, but people who are into eugenics or have that ideology, uh, those are the people that everybody who really wants to stop, um, racism or people judging each other based on some type of, uh, outside appearance or whatnot. Like you should be turning on Bill Gates because he's, he's, he's a part of the problem. I mean, he's a, you know, to me it's, it, it's so insane how everything can become political where if you're for the lockdown, you're most likely on the left. Uh, if you're anti the lockdown, you must be a Trump lover. Uh, if you're, you know, um, for these protests, you, you must be a non-racist yeah. person yeah. who is a social justice yeah. warrior. And, and if you're... Didn't, did Melinda Gates, I, I don't know this, but didn't she come out recently and say that the first people to get this vaccine should be the frontline medical workers, but after that it should be black people and then the elderly or something like that like it was it was this kind of hierarchy of who should get the vaccine and specifically racial minorities was was put up there on the on that totem pole which is fascinating I, again i don't i haven't fact checked this so i i've heard that this is what was proposed but if so it's it's the perfect double speak isn't it because it's like don't worry, guys. Yeah, we're absolutely, you know, Black Lives Matter. We're putting them at the top. They're good. They're first in line for the vaccine, which if you believe in the vaccine and everything, the vaccine agenda, that means, yeah, the, these people are prioritized. They're great. But if you know that the vaccine agenda is actually part of the control grid and it's like saying we're going to control you guys first. <laughs> Yay. And you're going to line up and roll up your sleeves and be happy about it because, you know, Black Lives Matter. It's just all of these things that are used to play on people. And it's it's fascinating to watch that we can get uh, the left on board with martial law as long as it's medical martial law or the right on board with martial law as long as it's martial law against the protesters. Or you can get the left on board with lockdown for, uh, you know, for for the the coronavirus pandemic, but you can get the right on board with lockdown during times of riots, and it's always this left and right thing. And I, for some reason, as much as I know about the divide and conquer and how it's always inserted, I never thought it was going to be to this level where you've suddenly got the left are all on board with protesting and going outside and being out there as long as it's for the right cause. But if you're not for the right cause, then you're an evil Nazi who's trying to spread pandemic. And then on the other side, you know, it's the opposite. They're even getting the left-right split into this, coupled with the race explosion that's happening right now, coupled with the, the pandemic biosecurity overlay. Crazy. These are the craziest times that we have lived through. And, uh, I, and honestly, I don't think we've seen anything yet. Honestly, I think it's going to get crazier from here. I would love to be wrong about that. But as I've been saying, the second wave, they're just starting to ramp up the hype about that. And what do you want to bet by the time of the selection circus, it's going to be once again the main news theme. I mean, people who think that, oh, you know, coronavirus, that was so last month and they've, they, you know, we've moved on from there. I, I don't think, I, I think you're wrong. I, I just, I don't think so. I think we're going to go back to that theme. But I, again, I'd love to be wrong about all this, but unfortunately, unfortunately, I haven't been. And that was the worst part is during the, as this started unfolding, 
and seeing, you know, I can go back to my medical martial law from 2008 and it was it's even more relevant today than it was in 2008. And people are going, that's crazy. I had never knew about I thought all that was conspiracy talk. And now all this is happening. So unfortunately, as you said earlier in our conversation, all of these crazy conspiracy things keep getting proven right. But people are always in the moment in this particular moment. No matter what is happening in the context, they're always in this particular moment. So right now, these protests or whatever are the most important thing in the world, even though they are in America. <laughs> I'm, newsflash, I'm a Canadian in Japan, so it's not my, it's not my bailiwick, as they say. But, um, but at any rate, this is the most important thing and the only thing people should be concentrating on. Uh, it's just sad to see people let along on the leash like that, even people who think they're in the independent media space. You know, they're still following the mainstream narratives at all times. Yeah, uh, if they remake Terminator, you should be Arnold and uh, go back and go back in the. You go back and be like, "This is what the future is like," and <laughs> and, and and it would just be you saying all these things like, "This is gonna be. They're gonna have these cell phones. And they're gonna control you this way and that way." And and I mean, uh, yeah, obviously the first. You Can know, I be John Connor? <laughs> yeah, or jo yeah. Oh, uh, apparently, you know. you're uncomfortable with being naked on camera. James. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I don't think anyone needs to see that. Um, but yeah, no, the uh, no, but sometimes, uh, honestly, sometimes I do sympathize with Cassandra, who had the curse of uh, being always right and able to predict the future, but no one would believe her. And that is a curse. That is a curse. Look, guys, this is coming. This is coming. This is coming. Oh, you crazy conspiracy theorist. Meanwhile, it comes. And then it's like, oh, of course. Of course that was coming. We all knew that. <laughs> Is Japan so uh, this Black Lives Matter movement has gone everywhere? I mean, I'm watching soccer in England and in Germany, and everybody's wearing these protest shirts and all this stuff. Has Japan also been jumping on board with this whole thing? There was a protest in Tokyo, I believe, in Shibuya, and I, uh, depending on who you ask, there was as many as a thousand, but some people say a few hundred um, people that turned up for it, and they were. I, I've seen some of the pictures. They're actually holding signs in English, Black Lives Matter, and things like this. Like, why are they holding English signs? We are in Japan. <laughs> I, you know, again, there's just these kind of things where you just kind of wonder what's going on. But um, apparently a large percentage of the people involved in these protests were foreigners in Japan, which makes sense, right? But again, I, is this a Japanese issue that they're all concerned about police brutality in the U.S.? Why? Like, I, I mean, of course, we can all be concerned about that issue but why are they out in the streets protesting in tokyo about police brutality in america like what does does this even make sense so uh, yeah as far as i know there was uh one protest or two protests about an incident that happened in tokyo with regards to a kurdish man who was being taken into custody by the police and there was some footage of him and he was resisting and, and putting up some sort of struggle with them or something like, why are you arresting me or something? I don't know the details of that incident, but there was a couple of protests about that in particular. And then that kind of got meshed in with the police brutality in the States and Black Lives Matter. Anyway, it has amounted to, as far as I know, basically one march through Shibuya with a few hundred people on one day. But then that gets reported in the international press. And I know, for example, James Evan Pilato at Media Monarchy picked up on that and has mentioned it several times. They're out in protesting in Tokyo. Well, I can, uh, I can attest, again, looking out my window, what I can physically see in the, in the world that I live in. No one here is even talking about it, let alone protesting it on the streets. But it gets reported, and then that's what people see. Oh, look, they're even protesting in Japan. And that becomes Japan is 
also up in arms about this. No, it, it isn't that way. That's so many times my reporting comes back to that. Look out your window and see what is happening and keep that perspective in mind when you're looking at these stories that are coming from whatever place. And that's something I get all the time. Like whenever anything happens in Japan, people will be emailing me, are you okay? Like there was an earthquake in Tokyo or whatever. Are you okay, James? I'm, I'm hundreds of miles away. I didn't, didn't feel anything. I'm not, not affected by it. Like I get, I understand. Thank you for being concerned. But again, people just have this kind of vague sense of the world outside of them. When it applies in their particular locale, people understand it. Like, uh, I was just listening to a podcast with this guy who lives in Seattle, and he's getting all these emails from people. Are you okay? Like, what's happening with the, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone and everything? He's like, I don't know, that's just a couple blocks downtown. It's like 15 miles away from where I live. I haven't seen it. Life is completely normal for me here. It has nothing to do with me. But that's the kind of thing I get all the time, like whenever anything happens in Japan, and people just kind of assume that's what Japan is like, right? Because well, I saw it on TV. Well, I live in Massachusetts, one of the hot spots, and uh, and same thing. I was getting listeners write me messages like, "Oh, Massachusetts, are, uh, like are the hospitals full, or like is there is it chaotic?" I'm like, "No, and no." I'm like, "I know people who work at the hospital. They're all like." dead there's nobody i don't mean the people are dead i mean the, the hospitals there's just not a lot of people there yeah uh, and, and uh so bad choice of words yeah there, yeah, yeah bad choice of words. and uh but i'm like oh, they're, they're dead and i i have a friend who's a supervisor at a springfield uh hospital uh the er room and he's like he's like it's dead he's like it's he's like sometimes during a flu season it can get busy you know but he's like that's not uncommon for hospitals to have people waiting in the waiting room that's why there's waiting rooms you know because people are supposed to wait there um so it's just it's it's uh from that's the power of headlines and media right Mm -hmm. i was i was talking to somebody uh, previously about this how you go back and you research historical events usually what you're doing or not not in all cases but many cases you're finding old articles newspapers that are saying this is what happened. This is how the rea- what the reaction was. This was this, or that. and I'm like, wait. We know now that they lie all the time on the headlines, and yet our interpretation of what happened in the past is based on these lying headlines. I'm like, this yeah. just made me yeah. rethink everything ever. Like, can you research things and really yeah. believe anything you read? No, history is written by the winners. Yeah, I hope people will rewatch. I think it's episode 350 of my podcast. History history is written by the winners, or something like that. Um, which, yeah, is specifically about this point yeah what do we really know about history and how do we get that information and from what sources and we know that all of these sources are manipulated and lie all the time but we trust them implicitly for historical information i think there's a name for that kind of uh phenomenon where uh when you personally know something about a story like you are involved in that field or it's about your town or whatever it is you have a personal knowledge of a story then you suddenly see all the ways that the media is ridiculous and inaccurate and they don't get anything right. They don't get names right, dates right. They don't they don't put it in the right context. They misinterpret facts, all sorts of things. And you can see it when it's about something that you know about. But then when it's outside of your field of interest or, or expertise, suddenly it's just like, oh, this is the information. You just absorb it and you internalize it. And then because of source blindness, at some point you go and you tell other people this information that you picked up from whatever, some New York Times article or whatever it is, but you don't even remember you got it from the New York Times anymore. You just believe it yourself. It's, uh, this is why, this is why propaganda is one of the most important influences in shaping our entire lives is because 
Unfortunately, information warfare is the real warfare. That's how they can manipulate an entire society is by getting everyone to believe certain things. Whether you have any actual physical proof for it or not, I keep looking out my window here as if people can see out of it, but <laughs> this is the point. That's reality, and then everything else is mediated through a screen, and we have to keep that in mind at, at all times. Well, I know I've, I've held you up quite a bit, and you're a busy guy, so I don't want to hold you up much longer. But one, one example of this was, I remember you were one of my first guests on the show, but one of my first uh, guests also were, was this uh, author and journalist, uh, Gerard Williams, who wrote uh, Grey Wolf, The Escape of Adolf Hitler. So this was like six years ago, uh, roughly. And I remember uh, always hearing these stories about Hitler making it to Argentina and whatnot. And, uh, you know, you'd go down some rabbit holes, but you're like, oh, you know. And then I'd had Gerard on. And then when you find out that there's a story that's told over and over and over again, and there's zero evidence that it's true, but yet it's considered historically like sound. It's a historical uh, event that everybody agrees on. Histori- and I'm just like, this is crazy. I mean, I'm just like, a, a lie can be told over and over again, and everybody just assumes that if you're telling it, that in, you, somebody must have done the research. Like, if I go back enough people, maybe the first guy who started, you know, uh, I go back a, a few uh, few people, then they might, might have looked it up. So I'll just continue. There's a joke by Tommy Segura. I'm going to bur- butcher it, but it's hilarious, and it's like a similar, it kind of uh, is an example of this, how they were wa- him and his father were watching a movie, and some star in the movie, he's like, uh, you know, his dad goes, hey, uh, you know, you know that guy? He's like, you know he's gay? And he's like, really? I didn't know that, right? And then so every time he's having a conversation with his friends, he brings up like, hey, you know that actor? You know he's gay? Until one time he's having a conversation with a, with a friend who says, he's not gay. He's like, I was at his wedding. He's married. He has a beautiful family, whatever. So he calls his dad and he's like, he's like, dad, what's his face isn't gay? And he's like, he's like, oh, my bad. I thought he was gay. You know, I'm like, but it was just... <laughs> You know, but, but meanwhile, he's told everyone exactly. in existence that and, it's and, actual fact. Yeah, exactly. It, exactly. It was hilarious because it really is that easy to just yeah. spread a rumor that has no evidence or facts whatsoever. It was, uh, it was a perfect. And I thought about like just alternative media and history, and and I'm like, it's a hilarious joke. But I'm like, it really is a, just a perfect example of how quickly you can spread nonsense and uh, yeah. and and nobody. And do you ever think? Do you ever go back and think like a hundred years from now, what will they be writing about 2020 and the great pandemic and everything? I kind of shudder to think of that because assuming that the, uh, the, they, them, those still control everything, you know, it'll just be history. It'll just be fact. There was this great pandemic and it was horrible until this magnificent St. Gates arrived with his wonderful vaccine and saved the world. And that's what, you know, our great grandchildren will grow up believing because yeah, whatever it happened a hundred years ago. Who, who knows? Yeah, that's why we have to keep doing our work and and attempting to uh, find locations to post it. I mean, I'm that's I've been really, really just active in, in trying to get people together to try to figure out a way to get this information out there because people like yourself. I mean, your documentaries, uh, I I'm, I'm sure of it, and I'm sure you know uh, by getting emails and stuff have changed people's lives and changed people's perspectives on the world. And uh, you know, we need to constantly you know find a way to, to fight back because this the, our, our other option is to not fight back and then if you do that you failed you've lost you've given up and and you might as well just you know uh, let them have their way and uh, so I think regardless how big of a difference we can we can make we have to attempt it we have to continue fighting back so um, yeah 
No, that's it. And that's exactly what it comes back down to for me. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to win this thing. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I do know if we just curl up in a ball and do nothing, we're going to lose. So what are you going to do? You're going to do something with your life. Might as well make it count. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, James, I don't want to take any more of your time. Thank you so much for always being so generous for uh, and coming on the show. Keep up the great work, and hopefully we talk again in the near future. All right. Thank you, Ricky. Thanks, James. Take care. Take care.